Some years ago, and I was trying to think how long it's been, probably 15, 16, 17 years ago, I had the privilege of meeting a lady at that time, a younger lady, as I was younger also. And she was visiting our church and had to be there on Sanctity Life Sunday. And something that was spoken touched her life. And, and we had an encounter that week, and she had an encounter that week with a living God. And it is my privilege today for her to come and tell her grace story to you. So would you please make welcome a dear friend of ours from Cobden. Well, she lives in Carbondale, went to the Cobden Church when we did, you and I both. Would you please make welcome Joanne Cavarcia. God's good, isn't he? He's just, the way he uses music amazes me. I, 
love what David just sang and Jenny's song was amazing. Really just an incredible, credible God. Well, if you're visiting with us today, we are in the midst of a series that we've entitled If. And there's the definition, say, conjunction used to indicate the circumstances that would have to exist in order for an event to happen. Now, this is really incredible to your pastor. I want you to know that. Because what I did was, I thought it was kind of cool. I got kind of neat, you know. There's some really cool scriptures in the Bible. In fact, there's a bunch of them that contain this conjunction, if. And God seems to be saying, if you do this, and I can do this. And I thought that was so cool. And I had five arbitrary topics that I chose and was going to string it along with if. And then God did something. And then God began tying these messages together in a way that I did not even see coming and I'm just, I'm just incredibly awed by God because I really think that he has a message for us today on this Saint of Life Sunday, one that I did not even intend to happen the way it did. Now, we started out this study uh, the first Sunday in January, and, and we, we, were in, we were in James in chapter 4, verse 13. And, and it goes something like this. This is the Dwayne Taylor rough translation. Hey, y'all. If you're one of those folks that, that say this, you say you're, you're going to go, you're going to go somewhere, and you think you'll leave today or tomorrow, and then you're going to go to a town somewhere, and you think you'll stay at just about a year, and then you're going to go into business. And you're so sure of yourself that when you go into this business, you're going to make a profit. And I've, I've said three weeks in a row now, that's the American ideal. That's the kind of, you know, if you're a parent, you want your daughter to marry that kind of guy. He's got some initiative. He's got some things going on. And we all applied and say, that's the American way. And yet I point out that day and I point out again today, there's something missing from that. And that's God. God was not in that picture at all. In fact, James later on says in James 4.15, he says these words. He says, now, now really you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. This is what's going to happen. And, and what I'm amazed at is that I, I, I threw something out that probably, you know, it's really hard to receive. In fact, I shared with Joanne at my house this morning. She goes, you know, she goes, wow, you know. And that is the idea of practical atheism. It, it's when someone who believes in God, in fact, could be a believer, is a believer in Jesus Christ, but there's some area of their life where for whatever reason they choose to ignore, they choose to wall off God, and they ignore what God's Word says. Practically, they are an atheist. Because see, in Psalm 14, 1, where, where the psalmist writes, the fool says in his heart, and that word, those two words there is are not there. No God. And the context first, not second, first is to the person who believes in God and yet has the audacity to look God in the eye and say, no. In any area of your life, whether it be your finances whether it be your parenting skills, whether it be your career, whether it be your job, whether it be your marriage, whatever it is. If you've got an area where you all have got off, then in that area you need to be courageous enough. And the first step is admitting it. In this area, I'm a practical atheist. In this area, I just do not believe God will work, can work, or I want him to work. And then that led us to week number two. And that was the solution, if you will. And that's that wonderful scripture. Again, I thought about a great patriotic message about America, and yet that really isn't what God left. Because as we looked at it in that context, God's word and a principle of his word, not a promise, because it was prayed, the promise was made to Solomon, but the principle was this. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will, will humble themselves, and pray and, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. In other words, if my people invite me to all areas of their life, if my people will tear down the walls, if my people will quit being practical atheists, he said, then, God speaking, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And I was very careful to point out, that's not a promise to America. But it is a promise to the regions of our life. That when we start surrendering, God can bring healing to broken marriages. God can bring stability to crazy financial messes that we created by bad decisions. God, God can turn the lives of our children. If we'll turn to Him and surrender our parenting skills instead of doing what society says is best. 
And I found that like so incredible. So here we come then, and, and I chose this scripture today because it had the words, if, of course, and little ones. And I said, ah, there you go. We'll talk about how bad old America, you know, beats up on little ones, you know, and that, that. But then all of a sudden I said, wait a minute. One, that's not even the context. And two, that's not where God wants to go at all. You know what he wanted to do? You know what he wants to do? He wants to talk to us. He didn't want us to have a pep ride there about, about how we ought to rally around the flagpole and change things perhaps on a national level. He wanted to challenge us. And I don't mean us, the church. I mean us individuals as the church. So I even changed the points and we titled the sermon. I thought it was pretty cool. If cubed. Because three different times in the scripture, Jesus uses the word if. So if cubed. And I changed them to accountable, approachable, and available. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed yesterday. I prayed this morning. I prayed all week on God help us to hear your word. Because I'm finally old enough and wise to realize that, that I may be able to persuade some of you to do something. Only the Holy Spirit can affect change in our lives. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen because God speaks to your heart today through his Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that he'll do exactly that. So here's what Jesus said. He says in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, and I'll be using the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Okay, it doesn't matter which one you've got as long as it's the Word of God. Okay, but I'm going to be using the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And here's what Jesus says. Now notice who he's talking to. He said to his disciples... So he's talking to the 12 that he has there, the, the inner circle, and he says these words. Offenses will certainly come. Now the word offenses there are, if you're taking notes, literally means in the Greek, it means that which causes sin. That which causes sin. Sub meanings are a bait trap or just a trap like an animal would be trapped. Okay? That which causes sin, he says, will certainly come. In fact, the literal Greek translation is, it's impossible for them not to come. He says, in this imperfect world we live in, because it's imperfect, because of the sin that occurred back in Genesis 3, sin is going to occur. It's going to happen. In fact, you could say what we see happening in America, what we've seen happening in Europe, what we see happening in France, what we see happening in families is a natural occurrence of an imperfect world. And that's why we need something supernatural. Because we live in this imperfect world, if we're going to get different results, we're seeing the natural results, we're seeing divorce at 50-51%, we're seeing the death of 48, babe, 48 million babies since, since Roe v. Wade, we're seeing an opening of society in so many areas we never thought the attack on sanctity. We're seeing that. If it's going to change, we've got to leave the natural from this world of offenses to something supernatural. And that's allowing God to respond in our lives, in our culture. Does that make sense? Does it make sense to anybody? Okay, so he says, offenses, that which causes sin will certainly come. But listen to what he says. But whoa. Now, now say whoa. Whoa, that word means grief. Whoa, it's grief. It's grief. Woe to the one they come through. In other words, he says, whoever causes this sin, this is a grievous thing. This is something that should cause us to mourn. It should break our hearts. Now, who is that one? Who's that one? Because the context you're going to see, unfortunately, he's talking about believers in Jesus. So, so what's happening? What's happening in America? Now, I shared something with you a couple years ago that I'm going to repeat now. And if you're a note-taker, you need to write this down. By and large, what a country, a nation, accepts as acceptable in their culture is determined by the national conscience. In other words, what a country believes as a whole, what its people kind of unofficially vote and say this is right and this is wrong, is how a culture works. They develop a national conscience. 
That's why for the first zillion years of our adult, of our existence, so many things just lined up with the Bible because newsflash, America was founded on Judeo-Christian values. I mean, God was smack dab in the middle of the founding fathers in their lives and in the organization of this country. So consequently, as the American people drew together, they had these values that lined up with the Bible. Our national conscious was what lined up with the Bible, by and large. You know, things like abortion just weren't even thought of. Homosexuality, the way it's prescribed today, or any way it's prescribed, just wasn't thought of. It was natural for people to pray in in the school. It was natural for the Word of God to be part of the curriculum because that was the national conscience. And somewhere, starting in 1915-20s, that began to change. And either we were asleep at the wheel or we sat by, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, all that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. And all of a sudden, we woke up one day, and the Bible wasn't allowed in schools anymore. All of a sudden, we woke up one day, and our children could no longer pray in schools. We woke up one day, and abortion is legalized. And like I said, 48 million, roughly, since Roe versus Wade. And if we're not careful... We'll wake up one day and what I said about senior adults will be true. And what I said about these special ones will be true. How did that happen? You've got to ask yourself that question. How did this happen in America? Again, we could point to the big bad politicians. But that's not where it seems that God's word wants to take us today. Because, again, the context is believers in Jesus Christ. Woe to the one through whom they come. Now, look what he says. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. May I throw something out to you? Is it? It is. But is it possible? Is it possible that the reason America has changed is because in so many areas we are practical atheists? Is it possible that we are so unsure of what we believe as believers that we have set by while this nation changed? Is it possible? That our unsurrendered lives or areas of our lives are sending such conflicting messages to a confused world. It just confused them more. I mean, the church proclaims loudly, we are against divorce. And yet 51% of Christians who attend church get divorced. We say we're pro-life and yet, I don't have a number. But many believers... When it's you pregnant at 43, when it's your 15-year-old daughter, and you've got big plans for her, and it does not include a child. Is it possible that these conflicting messages are confusing a society even more? I'm afraid it is. I'm afraid where the church ought to be a bright, shining beacon, instead we're a dimly glowing ember at best. And it's because of unsurrendered areas in our life that we have. I debated rather than say this. I didn't debate too long, but I did debate. Many of you voted for our president because you are ready for change. Many of you voted for our president because he promised you a better economic future. And you voted for him for that reason. In spite of the fact that he blatantly said, I am anti-life. He did not hide that. Don't you say, well, he changed. He didn't. He told you up front that he was against life or pro-abortion. If that's what you want me to say, I'll say it. But anti-life is truer. He said one of his first things in office would be to overturn the ban of homosexuality in the military. 
a priority. But we voted for him because we thought it would help us, not because it was right. That's a scary thought. I believe there's great accountability in this. I think that's what Jesus' warning was so severe. It would be better for a millstone to be hung around a person's neck if he causes one of these little ones to stumble. Well, who are these little ones? Well, I need Charlie. Would you mind coming up? I didn't ask you ahead of time. I'm sorry. And then, Katie, I need you, please. Is Katie still here? Yeah, bring the baby with you, please. Who are these little ones? You're going to have to pull your scarf back a little. Who are these little ones? Now, in our world today, in our Christian culture today, we recognize this is life. This is a little one. That's not a hard decision, folks. Amen? This is what we call a newborn. Okay? Now, what we see here with Charlie, what we call a preborn. This is life, and that's life. Okay? This is a baby, and this is a baby. This is a little one, and this is a little one. Can we agree on that? Okay, good. Thank you, ladies, so much. Now, Jesus in this context is not speaking about little children, He is speaking about believers in Jesus Christ, and in particular, new believers in Jesus Christ. But I don't think I'm stretching it too far to say this. Is it possible in this context, would we be right in the word of God to say, Jesus saying, man, it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck than for a believer to cause a young believer to stumble. That part's clear. You can't argue that. That's what he's saying. But what about the preborns? What about those who have yet to receive Jesus Christ as Savior? They're a little one of a different sort, but they're preborns. And the message we're sending as a church is this muddled confusion about what we think is right or wrong. And they're saying, if this is Christianity, I'm not sure I want it because you don't either know what you believe or stand for. God help us. Guys, it's time for the church to be the church. I mean, if you need to send an email, feel free to do it. But it's time for us to vote like believers. And I'm not talking about a party. If you think for a moment God's Republican, get over it. What did somebody say? God doesn't ride on the backs of donkeys or elephants. God didn't come to choose sides. He came to take over. This is not about political parties. This is about examining candidates and saying, where do they stand on the issues that matter to God? And life is one of them. And when the church does that, when, they're, when we send that clear message, then the preborn go, now, that, yeah. And the newborns go, yeah, they're encouraged to do what's right. But there's so much confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. So he says, yes, we live in a world where it's impossible, but sin's not going to come. He says, but, but woe to the person who causes that. It'd be better for him a millstone were hung around his neck, he were thrown to the sea, than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Wow. Dwayne, that kind of sounds like accountability. It kind of sounds like we're accountable for what we say, what we do, how we vote. It sounds to me like God's kind of got in mind that we're accountable to him. Newsflash. We are. So that leads us into approachability. He says, now in some Bibles, this is included with the previous paragraph, and sometimes it's included with the following paragraph. These words. Be on your guard. I think it's like a swinging door. You know, have, Remember those doors at Grandma's house? You used to run through and push it and go, boom, 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 boom. Remember those? These four or five words are swinging door. I think they could definitely apply to what we just heard. Jesus is saying, be on your guard. Don't be a stumbling block. 
Surrender these areas of your life so people have no doubt where you stand. Where you stand financially. Where you stand in parenting. Where you stand in the importance or unimportance of your career. Where you stand on the issues that matter to God. Make sure you live a life. Don't be a stumbling block, he says. I think that's good. It works. Some of your translations, like King James is one of them. New King James is one. It puts up with that paragraph. Then some translations come along and put it at the bottom paragraph. And that's cool too. Because he's fixing to ask, do some, ask us to do something incredibly hard. And that is to make an approach to people. Here's what he says. Verse 3 and 4. Be on your guard. If your brother sins. Now what's the context? If your brother is being a stumbling block. If your brother has unsurrendered areas, if, if your brother has areas that are obvious, now some things are, obvi- are unobvious. I don't know what you give to the church. I don't even know how you parent sometimes. But if you see an obvious area in some believer's life where they are living as a practical atheist, if your brother sins, what are you to do? Rebuke him. Rebuke him, dude. I'm going to tell you now, I, I know you can try this, and I did. It don't always go well. Don't expect a brother to go, oh, thank you, Jesus, for sending a rescuer. Nah, that probably won't happen. But, but it's about being right with God. It's about doing what God wants you to do. And sometimes you're going to find that. So there are going to be people, thank you for caring. But here's the deal, and you've got to listen. If you tune me out, now you're tuning me back in because I was talking about this. Tune me in right now. This word, yes, this word rebuke carries a censure tone. But it is about redemption. It's not, you better get your life right or God's going to zap you. It's not, you called yourself a Christian. The purpose is to bring the brother home. To bring the brother home. To bring the sister home. If you see your brother in sin, help him come home. There's so many people out there, especially once they become cognizant, they want to know, how can I get home? You can take them by the hand and guide them. You can lead them. You can help them find the way back home. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, if he turns back, it's really weird. This word repent Unlike the other one, it means turn around. It means to change his thinking. Does that not apply to the sermon today? If he changes his thinking, then you are to forgive him. No rocks. No probationary period. Well, we'll see if you prove yourself before we let you back into our fellowship. You'd forgive him. How about that? Dwayne, that sounds like we're supposed to approach people. It is. But do I want that judging thing? I didn't see judging there. That, by the way, is a great excuse. But it don't play. Because see, we're family. If I, if I see you fixing to fall off a cliff, well, now, if I, if I tell him he's, he's fixing to fall off a cliff, he may think I think he's stupid. I just better let him fall. Hello? We see people heading down paths, heading to a destination destination they really don't want. And rather than run the risk of getting rebuked ourselves and offending them, we let them continue on that path. And then we all say, gee, shouldn't have done that. No, Jesus says, if you see your brother... And he and he's sinning. You need to rebuke him and repent and forgive him. That's just what's about. Way too much rock throwing in the church. The reason most people won't be honest with us is because they know they'll get rocked. Ever watch Anne Green Gables? Anybody? Good movie, isn't it? Great movie. And it comes a time, this little orphan girl is on trial, staying in this house with two senior adults, a brother and a, and a sister. 
The brother wants to stay and the, the, daughter, the sister's not too sure about it. A brooch shows up missing. I know you had the brooch and you took it and you lost it, da 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 So finally, she says, the little girl says, okay, I took the brooch, I wore it outside, I was leaning over in some water and it fell into the water. And boy, the sister got mad and said, okay, the older sister said, that's it, you're going back to the orphanage, I can't have a thief and a liar here, that's it. She puts on her shawl and there's the brooch. Uh Uh-huh. She goes up there humbly and and says, well, kind of humbly, as humbly as she could be, I guess, She goes, why did you tell me you had the brooch? Why did you lie? You know what the little girl said? Because you wouldn't believe the truth. You wouldn't believe the truth. We assume they don't want to hear the truth. So instead we sit by. Now that was, was that hard to swallow a little bit? You're going to love verse 4. You're going to love verse 4. Okay, go Mark. Aouba. Hoorah. Now watch, verse 4, Jesus speaking. And if he sins against you, uh-oh. now it's personal. Now, now, wait a minute, time out. Because if you've got the New King James, you're saying, well, Dwayne, that was in the other part. It says right there in my Bible, it says, um, be on guard if your brother sins against you. It's right there, Dwayne. I saw it. It's in my, it's, blah, blah, blah. I looked at the Greek. Ain't there. Some translators said, well, you know, probably in context it'll be there, but it's not there. The Greek says, in the first verse, verse number number three, it says, be only a guard if your brother sins. There's no you there. But it is in verse four. So Jesus says, so if he sins against you, now it's become personal. Now it's, now it's beyond you see him sinning and you want to help him out. Now he's offended you. And watch this. I, this is just incredible. And if he, if he sins against you seven times in a day, does that sound like some wives you know? Does that sound like some husbands you know? Does that, does that sound like some children you know? Does, no, does that sound like some pastors you know? If he sins against you seven times, and that's a ridiculous number. It's almost the number seven in Bible's number completion. I mean, it's just on and on. If he sins against you on and on and comes back to you every time, seven times, saying, I repent. I I think differently. Same word. You must forgive him. And I'm going to give it to you again. You must isn't there. It's just you forgive is what's there. Jesus said, if he, if he sins against you seven times in one day and comes back seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Well, what about that? And by the way, some of our little commentaries, commentaries are great. If they come across something hard, they just ignore it, just like a bunch of preachers. But one commentary was on enough to say, this doesn't even mean sincere. It doesn't mean he comes back with a sincere broken heart and says, Oh, I've sinned against you. I'm just broken over it. No. Jesus says, if he comes back saying, I repent, you're not to judge his motives. You're saying, I forgive. At this point, the disciples go, Are you kidding me? This can't be right. You, Jesus, you, you, You've been out in the sun too long. This can't be right. Why would Jesus say that? I'm going to tell you why Jesus said that. See, forgiving initially through the blood of Jesus Christ in salvation and throughout our lives to restore fellowship, forgiving is the nature of God. And what Jesus is saying is, You just need to be like me in this matter. I love Mike, I feel like a lawyer has got a case one. You can't argue with God. He said, you just got to be like me in this. After all, shall we do a little poll? How many times do you want God forgive you? 
Ephesians 4.32. As God has forgiven you, you forgive others, Paul wrote. Oh. Why else would Jesus say that? And this is something, I'm going to give you something that will set you free today if you'll buy into it. Forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for you. When you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, you become a bitter person. An angry person. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be bitter in anger. So forgive them. Let it go. I'll deal. If it's a fake, if it's a fake, I'm sorry. I'll deal with it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let me deal with it. You just forgive him like I've forgiven you. And in so doing, that heart of yours that's now stone is going to be soft. And you know what? Heard it said, hurting people hurt people. People who don't forgive hurt people. This is huge, guys. This is not a little one. This is a big one. This is huge. And Joan, you're the perfect example of this today. It's just God's amazing grace. Come on, amen? That all just cause y'all to burst into applause that God's grace is sufficient. I think that's a hint. Come on. God's grace is sufficient. And we just got to apply that grace. Just like we all apply to our lives, we got to apply it to others. All right. The apostles said, you've been out in the sun too long. Okay. Not quite, but here's what they said. The apostles said in verse number 5 to the Lord, increase our faith. Okay, Jesus, this is a big one. First off, you're telling us that we've got to be way careful not to be a stumbling block to those around us, these little ones. That is like way... In fact, you, you censor us so strongly. You say that, you know, that it'd be better if we had a rock around our neck and someone threw us into the sea and we drown than to be a stumbling block. That's huge, Jesus. And Jesus, then you challenge us to take care of the family. Then you challenge us when we see someone in blatant sin that we're to go and help them get back home. We're to rebuke them if necessary. We're to help them get home. And then we're to forgive them and welcome them back into our fellowship. If that's not enough, then Jesus, you say, if someone offends us personally and they do it seven times in one day or on and on, they keep coming back saying, I repent, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to forgive them? I ain't got enough faith. So they say, increase our faith. Here's what Jesus says. If you have faith. Do you know how crucial faith is? Faith is the path by which God works. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is like this huge thing. In fact, I, I did this real quick this morning. I just did a quick study. Look at this. I mean, like five minutes. Hebrews, uh, sorry, Hebrews. Luke 5.20. When he saw her faith, their faith, this is when they let him down to the roof. When he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. Luke 7.9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Luke 7.50. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Luke 8.48. He said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Luke 17.9. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Do you think possibly that faith is important to God? Do you think it's just possible that we got to move beyond what we can do? Do you think it's possible that we got to move beyond what society can do? Do you think it's possible we got to trust God? Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible in seeing our culture change? Do you think it's possible in seeing marriage change? Do you think it's possible seeing parenting change? Do you think it's possible seeing careers change? Do you think? Yes. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed. I mean, a mustard seed's a dot. It's a pencil lead. When you make a dot on a piece of paper, not much bigger than that. But here's what I want you to get. Literally from the Greek, 
And if you've got a King James Bible, if you've got a New King James Bible, it says it this way. If you have faith like a mustard seed. Is Jesus talking about the quantity of our faith? Yes, he is. I mean, here's the little tiniest piece of a seed that grows into this huge tree. So he is talking about the quantity of our faith. But may I propose to you that maybe, just maybe, there's something more? Can I propose to you, he may be thinking about the quality of our faith? See, like a mustard seed, faith like a mustard seed, faith of the same kind of a mustard seed. See, let me tell you. Let's change that mustard seed for an apple seed. So the apple seed is laying there in the dirt one day, fixing to germinate. And you said, you know, all my life, my short existence here, I've always wanted to be a grapefruit. I think I'm just going to, I think I can. I want it. I think I can. I believe I can. I know I can be a grapefruit. What's that little apple seed going to grow up and be? Apple tree. Now, isn't that something? It's going to grow up and be an apple tree. Because it's in the DNA to be an apple. Is it possible when Jesus said, Faith like a mustard seed. He says the mustard seed can grow to a giant tree because it's in its DNA to do so. Is it possible that when we have faith like a mustard seed, that is when we surrender our areas, when we say, God, my finances are yours. God, my marriage is yours. God, my children are yours. God, my career is yours. God, my power and prestige in society is yours. When we surrender those things to God and we apply His DNA, is it possible great things will happen? I say yes. I say yes. Because here's the deal. What about that mulberry tree? All you longers for pink Cadillacs, y'all like the health and wealth gospel? You know, I believe that faith like, faith as, faith the size of a mustard seed will move a mulberry tree and cast it into the ocean. If God wants the mulberry tree moved. Because I think that's included in this kind of faith. It's a faith that says, your deal over my deal. It's a faith that says, God, you're God and I'm not. I'm the created, you're the creator. See, I don't know if God wants a mulberry tree moved in your life. But does God want you to surrender every area of your life? Increase our faith, God. Does God, does God want your marriage successful? Does, I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? You don't have to pray about what's my will, your will. Does God want you to raise godly children? Does God want your career to have a proper, sir, ma'am, a proper perspective in your life so that the career doesn't consume your family? Uh-huh. Faith like. And we have faith like, and those areas are surrendered, then it frees God to do what God wants to do. And we see amazing things. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant a seed, and it will obey you. And you see this? How, are you starting to get a picture of how big this is? So many of us go through our Christian life, and we say these words Where is God? Why don't I, God, why am I not experiencing all that they talk about? You're going to start experiencing what all are talking about when you start surrendering these areas. When you retire your title as a practical atheist, you're going to start seeing some incredible things happen. Now, Satan will tell you that's never going to happen. And by the way, I don't know, it probably won't happen overnight. 
I've lived long enough to know God's got a timetable and it's not mine. You know, it's just not mine. In fact, God's got ways. He does things that I can't figure out. Again, I'm I'm the one who voted that God should have killed Satan in the garden. Life would have been a whole lot easier. He just didn't choose to do it that way. So it comes down to this. What are you going to do? And this is believers right now. What are you going to do? Would you like to see our culture changed? Would you like to see marriages changed? Would you like to see a generation, you know, I don't know if you know it or not, but Brent's taking about 30 kids and adults up to Wisconsin. They're having a retreat this weekend. Would you like to see just a youth group that we have to build a new building just for them? Would you like to see that great balance between career and life? Jesus says that can happen. But it happens through faith like a mustard seed. And Another seed illustration, if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. It's just not going to change until we change. And more specifically, until you change. This country, go back for our comfort zone, since I'm sure you're all going, ooh. Our country's heading down a very wrong path. And I guess you need to write letters to your congressman. That's a good thing to do. But I'm telling you, change in this culture has the best shot of occurring when God's people be God's people. The walls come down. We wave a white flag and say, okay, God, the checkbook, the calendar, the time clock, my marriage, My kids, my family, they're yours. It probably wouldn't hurt to say about that time, I'm just not smart enough. I need you, God. I need you, God. And then practically, as God gives you insight through his word, through teaching, through him speaking to your heart, live that out. Give him some time. If if this is an individual thing with you, Dwayne, I haven't tithed a day in my life. Dwayne, I've got one of the most messed up marriages in the whole world. Dwayne, my kids are like way off. I know I failed them. Give God some time. I heard one person say one time, give God as much time to work as you did messing things up. Give God some time. And then, ooh, ooh, I'm going to use the M word, then wait for the miracle. Then wait for Would you bow your heads right there where you are? Oh my, his word is so wonderful. I'm just incredibly impressed with the word of God. It has the answers we're looking for. We, we beat our head against a wall trying to change things. And all along God's saying, quit beating your head and listen to me. Now, the invitation first will be to believers in Jesus Christ. That's kind of what this series is about. If I was sitting where you were, and, and I've, I've been sitting all week with this message, by the way. If I was sitting where you were, and I had some areas. And I, I bet you think, I bet you're thinking some areas. I bet you are. It might be your mouth, your speech. Habits you got that you know are bad. Bad for you and bad for witness. You've got some areas. I don't know if you want to pick one and start with one or, or do the whole bunch. But say, God, I'm trusting you today. I've, I've messed this up long enough. And as you give me grace and strength, I'm going to have faith and trust you. And then let him work. Follow his word. Follow the wise teaching, wise counsel. 
and give him time. Give him time. Give him time. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. God is faithful. God is good. God is faithful. Sometimes you'll be the miracle. I happen to have a small role in human hands with, with, with Jesus and Joanne having a meeting. Wow. You'll make it be part of the miracle. Now for some of you, ladies and the sound of my voice on the radio or, or here right now, Maybe some of you have never met Jesus. Maybe you've been bumping through life. You've tried church and you've tried religion and it hasn't worked. That was me. I did 21 years with the church. I was one messed up dude. I was a liar and a hypocrite and several other things. I was miserable inside. And then I met Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to open the altar up. If you'd like to come and pray, and I understand this is the kind of message you go, I ain't going down. Old people think. I understand that. But you can sure make your altar right there. But I tell you what, if you're here today and you've never met Jesus, I'm going to stand down front here. And it would be my privilege today to introduce you to my best friend. He lived 2,000 years ago and lives today. His name is Jesus. As you heard from Joanne, he can make a lot of things that are wrong right. Right. He would love to meet you today. Now, God, I love you today. I thank you for this high privilege of mine to share these words. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you now. I am asking you now to speak to hearts. Draw men and women back into fellowship with you. Help them to see truth today. And have them to have the courage to step out in faith. Father, for my friends here today who may have never met Jesus, you love them so much. Would you help them today to step out in front of this crowd and say, I want to know this man who can make change like that. I want to know the man who changed Joanne and Dwayne who changed you. Father, give them that courage. Jesus, I pray this in your name.